Wow, what a fantastic Sunday to gather and worship. It's the eve of Thanksgiving. All week our families are going to be giving thanks to God for what He's done. And today we thought there's no better way to give thanks to God and reflect as a church than for us to have a moment of communion today. And so after I preach for just a moment, I'm going to have our deacons offer a communion service. I'd like to invite my brothers to come and join me up front. If you'll go ahead and take a place on the first pew. You guys, as our deacons come forward to serve, I want to ask you to look for Mark chapter 15. They're going to find a seat on the first pew, and you and I are going to find Mark chapter 15 in our scriptures. So we've been preaching about stories, about the power of stories, about how God is using our stories to change the world. We've had several people who've come to share to talk a little bit about what God's done in their lives, and today is going to be no different. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks, guys. I want to ask you guys to have a seat. I appreciate y'all coming to serve. Outside the sanctuary on some wires that I've hung, you're going to find cards with church members' stories. I've challenged everybody. And if you're a guest today, you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you into this challenge. I want you to do the same thing. I've challenged everyone to reflect on what God has done in your life. Reflect on your story, how God's worked in you. I want you to reflect on it enough that you can find the central theme, the core heartbeat of your story. For some of you, it will be what led to the day of your salvation. And for some of you, that heartbeat of your story might be that something that happened 10 years after you were saved. But I want you to seek the heartbeat of your story. And once you can recognize it, I want you to be able to tell your story with God in two minutes or less. And I just want to ask you across the congregation, have you already done that? Have you already worked through that? Now, the accountability for this, I've asked everyone to write that short story on one of the small cards that you can find at the exits of the sanctuary all around. And as soon as you've written it, hang it on the wires outside. I can see many of you have done that. The wires out here are filling up. The wires out here still have some room. But I want to see those full of stories. Now, I've read them. Some of them are pretty powerful. And I chose one today that I want to share with you just to give you an example and an encouragement. And as you listen in just a moment to this story, I want to push you a little bit and say, if you haven't written your story, if you haven't hung yours on the wires yet, do the hard work of thinking through what God's done in your life until you can focus it on that piece of paper and hang it up for us to share in. When you've done that, You'll have paved a way for God to use your testimony in a gospel conversation. You'll be glad you did, and the kingdom will be better. So let's get your story on the wire. But for now, let's welcome Sue McKinley to come share her story. Come on, Sue. All right, now, Sue is just like a lot of you. Sue said, Ben, I'm going to share this because God has given it to me, but I am nervous. And so we acknowledge that Sue is nervous today. So what I want to ask from you all is, will you be the best audience that Sue could ever have? So just to let Sue know that we're really interested in hearing what God has done in her lives, let's welcome her again a little stronger this time than last time. All right. Sue, before you start, I want to say I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing this story. I know it's going to bless us. So you can come up here if you want, and I'm going to offer you that microphone. You'll hold it close to your chin. We are eager to hear your story. Thanks, Ben. I like your tie. It's very nice. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sue and I have a little running joke about that I should wear a tie on Sunday. She says that it means that I have authority if I have my tie on. So I put my tie on Wednesday night when I found her and said, hey, will you share your story? Church in which there was no spirit. 
The people were nice for the most part and most certainly blessed, but there was no spirit there. All I understood of being a Christian was that there were rules that we followed that most of my friends didn't. Needless to say, church wasn't for me. I turned away and was easily and willingly led astray. I grew to despise the church and was encouraged by my closest friends every step of the way. God was not for me, and I felt a sense of pride in proclaiming that. Turning my back on Christianity felt like the most freeing thing in my life. I broke all the rules and did all the things. I denied God and embraced the world. First, I called myself agnostic. I liked that term because I thought it showed that I really didn't care. Then I moved on to calling myself an atheist, although I never really was. For over 10 years, I shut God out of my life, and for over 10 years, he waited for me. For 10 years, he watched over me and protected me. He let me be the fool and make all the bad choices, but he never let me suffer the consequences that so many do. He kept watch as I ran my life into the ground and had nothing left. I lived in darkness and despair. I hated my life, and that's when he showed me that he was there. I don't have a salvation moment to share. It didn't happen like that for me. Mine was a salvation season. God whispered to me. He whispered through music, through books, through strangers, and directly into my soul. He nudged me slowly and gently. He worked on me for years from the inside out. He loved me when I still loved sin. He took me in while I was still living in the world. He gently led me out and truly showed me what it meant to be free. He broke my chains for, for me. I never would have had the strength. I'm 47 years old, and I still don't know what God's great plan is for my life, but that's okay. I trust him. I love him. He's given me joy and peace and hope. He's given me Christian brothers and sisters that love me and encourage me. He's given me a little family that I love with all my heart and surely don't deserve. He gave me his son who died for me so that I could forever be with him. Amen. Let's thank Sue for sharing. Sue's story is probably similar to many of your stories. Sue's story certainly is like a lot of the stories that are out in the, in the community today in the Pine Belt. Brothers and sisters that grew up in a church, wandered from God, and now find themselves far from Him, but will hopefully someday very soon be surprised to find that He has never, ever left them, that He is still the loving Father that is eager for their return every single day. And I want to challenge us to be a church that is so full of the love and grace of God that when we cross paths with a brother or sister who is hurting or struggling or far from the Father that loves them, that we'll be well equipped to love our neighbor and to serve our Heavenly Father and connect them to the Lord. I want to encourage us as a church, use your story to change their story. Let them see how God loves them through how He's loved you. The story I want to share today is from a man who had a terrible, horrible job. But his job reminds me of our world some ways. In Mark chapter 15, we see the story of Christ crucified. As he dies on the cross, at the foot of his cross, there is a man whose job is to kill Jesus. There's a Roman centurion who is overseeing the execution. And I know it sounds horrible, 
But in the gospel story, there is a beautiful gospel treasure in the heart of this centurion. As he watches Jesus die, this hardened executioner becomes the very first life to be touched by the death of Jesus. As he says from his own lips, surely this man was the Son of God. You watch the most unlikely person be touched by the way that Jesus died. And as we prepare our hearts for communion today, I want us to think through this guy's story. So I want you to read with me Mark chapter 15, just verse 39, one verse today. The scripture says this, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I want to pray for our church. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, we know that as we take the bread and the cup in a moment, it's not because we're qualified or good or worthy. We have been and in some ways still are a wreck. Father, we lean on the grace of your cross. We take the cup and the bread today as a way to say thank you that you've made us clean, that you've adopted us into your family. Lord, we reflect our own soul and our commitment to you. But even more than that, Father, we are reflecting today on the cross and on the sacrifice of Jesus and on the magnitude of what he gave us. We give you our heartfelt thanks, Lord, a room full of sinners who didn't deserve your grace as we celebrate today that you have made us clean because of Jesus. We take the cup, Lord, we take the bread today with thankful hearts with humble spirits, and very, very thankful to you. In Jesus' name we ask your blessing. Amen. As we imagine this guy, this first man ever impacted by the death of Jesus, and as we think about taking communion together in a moment, we're reminded that every single believer comes into the faith the same way, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Our common value, the core, the glue that holds us together, what constitute this family, the reason that we're adopted daughters and sons of the living God is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus told the disciples, take up your cross, die to yourselves daily and follow after me, he is intentionally building the Christian faith on the cross. And so today we're going to consider the first man who evaluated the way that Jesus died. The scripture says in verse 39 that he was standing there facing Jesus or in front of Jesus. In Greek, it just says opposite Jesus, but it's very particular in the scripture to let you know that this is not just a centurion who was on the hill that day. He's not far away, but his position is that he is looking at Christ while he dies. And I think Mark was super intentional to make sure we understood that he was opposite Christ, facing Jesus right in front of him, because he had a privileged front row seat for the moment that the world was saved. And I want us to look at the world through his vantage point. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you couldn't quite see. Maybe you were at a football game and somebody was right in front of you and you kept looking to somebody to say, everybody's yelling, what happened? I could not see. I don't know, maybe if you were hiking. I know one time we were hiking in the Smokies and we had hiked a, 
a long day. It was a 50-mile trip all together, and this third day of that trip had worn us out. Ambitious young lads that we were 11 years ago, some of us said, you know what? On that third day, our game plan will be to hike 12 miles to our destination, drop our packs, and then hike another six miles to this vantage point where we can look out over this valley and see something really fantastic, something really beautiful. Well, by the time we got to that third day, some of us weren't quite so gamey, myself included. In fact, that morning, there was only one of us, no surprise, the Energizer Bunny, Jeremy Stroh, who said, I think I'm going to give this a shot. And so as the day dawned, we all strike out from the shelter with our packs. We say farewell to Stroh, and he is off for the races. And the rest of the day, me and Aaron Watkins and Justin McNabara and Aaron McGregor just get updates from the people coming our way. Have you seen a guy, tall, skinny guy with a beard? Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Well, he's the only one that made it. And when he made it back to the shelter that night, we all just had to ask him, well, what was it like? What did you see? And today that's exactly what we're doing. We're asking this centurion, this guy who stood opposite Christ and watched him take his last breath, brother, what did you see? And I want you to think about this man for a moment. This is a man whose job was to execute people and show the strength of Rome. With every victim who drew their last breath, This man won, and his empire won. With every criminal crucified, with every political opponent subjected to death on a cursed tree, with every rebel, with every bandit that he slaughtered, he showed one more time that the kingdom of Rome was unstoppable. He had become a hardened man. It's not his first execution. It'd be cool to think that it might have been his last, but history won't tell us. We'll never know. And I wonder if he's not a little bit like us. If you stop and you think about it, you and I, we've been sinners since the day that we were born. To the degree that sometimes we become numb or inoculated to sin. We just sort of say this is what everybody does and we accept it. Even in our own world today, every time we turn on the news, there's another shooting. Somebody else is dying and we're almost becoming numb to it. Like there's so much hurt and pain in our world that we've almost decided that sin is the status quo. It's the air we breathe. It's what's normal. Well, for this guy, death is what was normal. Brutality, violence, strength, superiority of the Roman legions was normal. The most unlikely man to be an early trophy of God's grace. I think for him, the death of Jesus was different. If he was here, we don't know his name, but if he was here, he'd tell you the death of Jesus was different. This guy has excited the imaginations of the church for eons. We've always wanted to know more than history tells us. For example, the Bible doesn't tell us after he says, surely this man was the son of God. Well, did he repent? Did, did he become a Christian? We'll never know. Did he change his path and follow Jesus? Or did he just say, surely this man was the son of God and go right back to his regular routine? We'll never know. But we have been enamored with him forever. In fact, in the mid-60s, in 1965, we cast John Wayne to play this guy in the greatest story ever told. Did anybody know that? Does anybody remember that? Some of you do. I almost put a picture of John Wayne up here, but I thought I might never get this church back if we were talking about how great John Wayne might be. 
He was nicknamed, we don't know his name, but he was nicknamed Longinus. There were some early writings in the second and third century, mostly that were made up or fanciful. We don't think they were credible. The church fathers condemned him, in which this man was named Longinus. And depending on who wrote it, determine his fate. For some of them, he went off to a cave and was mauled by a bear for killing Christ. In others, he came to the cross blinded, but the blood that came from the side of Jesus dripped to his eyes and he could see again. These kind of fantastic legends have like sort of sparked the imagination of Christians. But today, we're not going to pretend any of that. We're going to make up some fantastic little story. In one of the legends, he becomes a martyr, defends the faith of Jesus until he dies at the hand of another Roman soldier. We have no idea. All we know is what's really in this text, that a hard, calloused man who did not deserve the grace of God had a front row seat in killing Jesus. But when he watched him die, When he saw the love of God on display, he couldn't help but confess that something happened. That the man on that cross was the Son of God. I see myself in his shoes. Even though I'm not a Roman centurion, I'm a Baptist pastor, I know that my actions and attitude, my pride and hard heart, my sin have committed every much an offense as his might have. I am as responsible for the death of Jesus as this man was. Maybe he drove the nails. Maybe he oversaw them. Maybe he laid Jesus on the cross. Maybe he was one that raised it up into its place. I have no idea. Maybe he nailed the sign that says, the King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth. I do not know. Maybe he oversaw the whippings and the beatings and the scourgings. I don't know. Maybe he was outside while Jesus was getting a pretend trial. I have no idea what all this man did. But I know that my sins are as much to blame for the death of Jesus as anything that he did on that day on that hill. I feel like he and I are cousins. We bear the same responsibility. He was numb, but when he watched Jesus, something about the death of Jesus was different. When you read the story, and I did, I read Mark 15, and I wondered, what did he see that was so different? I know that he saw a man beaten when the Roman governor tried to give him his freedom back. I know that he saw religious people, unfortunately, mocking him, scribes and Pharisees hurling insults at a man drawing his last breath. No doubt he knew that something was wrong. I know he saw a man who refused to take the wine and myrrh that was offered to him because he wanted to die with his full faculties because he knew that this was the most sacred hour of Christian history and he had to have his wits about him. Maybe this man saw him speak to the criminals on the right and to the left. I don't know. But I know in Mark's gospel it tells you that darkness was set on the earth for three hours. And as this centurion stands opposite Jesus and stares at his suffering face in the darkness of night at the middle of day, he realizes that God in heaven is watching this man die and has stretched out his strong arm for something this afternoon on this hill. He did not know that God was stretching out his arm to forgive the sins of the world, mine and yours, to take my filth and your filth 
and redeem it. To take my weakness and your weakness and forgive it. To take my inadequacies and shortcomings and yours and heal them. But he knew as the world was dark that something happened on that day that was different than every other rebel that he had ever executed. I know that watching the cross changed this centurion. The scripture says in verse 39, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. What did he see when he saw how Jesus died? The Bible just says he saw how he died. Was it something intangible that's not in the text? Was it the love in his eyes? Like the love that would have been in his eyes when he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Would it have been the courage to take the cross and refuse painkiller? Would it have been the way he looked at those who mocked him and instead of hurling insults, he hurls mercy? I don't know. Would it have been just the power of the darkness over the earth and the sense that God was there? The Bible says that the curtain in the Holy of Holies tore from the top to the bottom. Now this centurion could not have seen that. But could he have sensed the Holy Spirit of God leaving the holy place and coming to Golgotha's cross? Could he have felt overwhelmed for the first time in his life by the presence of God? And could he have realized that there was something greater than the strength and the violence and the wealth of the Roman Empire? I know that as he saw how Jesus died, it changed him. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 begins with this confession that this is the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That promise that was made in chapter 1 is finally fulfilled on the lips of a Roman soldier when he looks at the cross on the death of Jesus and says, yes, this was the Son of God. What Mark promised in chapter 1 doesn't come to full vision until chapter 15, verse 39. It's the death of Jesus that showed who he was. Well, today I just want us to stop and think for a minute. As we take communion bread, I want us to think about the cross. What do you see when you study the cross? Does it change you? The reason we take the communion bread and the cup is so that we will never forget that all of this is because of the cross of Jesus. You see, if we don't take the communion bread, if we don't stop and remember the body broken and the blood poured out of Jesus Christ, then we will twist Christianity to our own ends. We'll make it a social club, a civic organization. We'll teach it to play by our own rules and make the church of God one more broker, a voting base, a lobbying pool, a way to get things accomplished in the community. We'll make it one more place where we go to feel better about ourselves or have a social group that answers to us. We'll have one more place that we can leverage our power. If we don't take the communion bread, we will forget that our faith beats at its very heart with a Savior who loved you and died for you. If we don't take communion bread, we'll forget who the body and bride of Jesus Christ is. We'll forget that we were born out of suffering in the pure love of God. That we were born to give forgiveness and mercy to the world. That we all were sinners at the foot of that cross and every one of us redeemed when we put our faith in Jesus. We'll forget that today we're not worthy because of our deeds. We're worthy because of his sacrifice. We'll forget about God's grace. We'll forget about God's mission. 
and will twist the church into something she's not if we don't stop and take communion bread. If we don't remember the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus poured out for us. And so today we do stop. And imagining the story of that Roman centurion who looked at Jesus, today we stop and look at the cross. Where Jesus Christ became my substitute, where he took the punishment that was due to me. Where the love of God was shown in full display. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Bible says that God demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today, as we take communion, I want to ask this church to focus on the Lord and his cross, to think about the love of God and the death of Christ, to think about what his mission and purpose is for cleansing you and calling you into his family. I want you to give thanks for his sacrifice as you participate today in the communion meal.